The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Force has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, where we uncover the truth, one guest at a time. For those who dare to seek, Veritas is the place where they shall find. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members. As always, you are keeping Veritas alive. Tonight, we grant the wish of so many people who have written in the past requesting tonight's special guest, Dolores Cannon. Past lives and the convoluted universe. This show will open your mind to fascinating possibilities. Dolores Cannon is a past life regressionist and hypnotherapist who specializes in the recovery and cataloging of lost knowledge. Dolores will be with us shortly. And here's an update of our This Space Up for Auction campaign. Some of you have already put your name on the list. Once again, let me give you a quick summary. For the first time, we are opening our website for advertisers and sponsors, and then we will choose the winner and pricing will be via eBay auction. The eBay auction is now underway and will end on Monday, May the 24th. It's a 10-day auction. If you are participating, just click on the advertising link on our website, veritasshow.com, for more information 
and send an email to advertising at veritasshow.com letting us know what your company does and that you are bidding on the auction. You can start bidding right now. Although the auction ends on Monday, May the 24th, I will announce the winner on Friday, May the 28th, on that week's show and newsletter. The winner will be entitled to 30 days of advertising. Let me share with you the list of upcoming guests. I know you'll be very impressed. Richard C. Hoagland, Jay Whitener, Dr. Joseph Farrell, James Gilliland, Jim Mars, George Ewer, and many more. It's a great time to be a Veritas member. To listen to the complete version of this and all our past and future shows, become a member. You'll receive immediate access to all our inventory of shows, the Manticore Forum, and the Veritas chat room. Don't wait. Just head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, click on subscribe, and take Veritas with you. If you want a Veritas subscription but cannot afford it, and are ready, willing, and fully capable to transcribe a show, we have our special subscription for transcription offer. Instead of giving you the usual three-month subscription for a transcription, I'm going to give you six months. But you have to contact us on or before May the 31st, and you need to be able to transcribe in a timely fashion. For more information, visit the free subscription link on our website, veritasshow.com. For updates and news, visit our website, our blog, and for more comprehensive analysis, visit our forum and interact with members around the world. And now, get ready to literally time travel, not only to people's past lives, but also future lives. Dolores Cannon has found the lost knowledge and was given the mission to inform. At almost 80 years old, Dolores is full of energy and continues to teach her own methods around the world. If you think past lives are nothing but someone's imagination, stop this audio now. If you want to review the evidence and get to the truth, don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. you hear right here on the Veritas show is supplied by the independent artists from Jamendo.com. If you hear a song you like, go over to our homepage, VeritasShow.com, click on the guest, look up the song, and download it. You can even buy the group's CDs, in many cases right there at Jamendo.com. Hoagland, and you are listening to Veritas. Dolores Cannon is a past life regressionist and hypnotherapist who specializes in the recovery and cataloging of lost knowledge. Her roots in hypnosis go back to the 1960s. She has been specializing in past life therapy since 1979. Dolores has become perhaps the world's most unlikely expert on the prophecies of Nostradamus. A retired Navy wife from Huntsville, Arkansas, Dolores was nearly 50 years old when she began experimenting with hypnosis and past life regression. The results were, to say the least, quite spectacular. 
working through several different subjects, Dolores was able to establish communication with the living Michel de Notre Dame, better known as the prophet Nostradamus. His revelations and their impact on our own time are both fascinating and at times frightening. Dolores has been a UFO investigator for over 25 years, using her skills as a regressionist to help people that have been involved in abduction cases. She has written several books on the UFO information volunteers are revealed while under hypnosis. She has written over 15 books, including the latest, The Convoluted Universe, books 1, 2, and 3. The trilogy goes further into complex metaphysical theories and covers mind-bending concepts. And directly from Arkansas, I would like to introduce for the first time on Veritas, Dolores Cannon. Hello, Dolores, and welcome to Veritas. Thanks for being with us. How are you? Okay, thanks for inviting me today. It's my pleasure. Dolores, you and I met at the most recent UFO Congress. You may not remember because there were so many people interacting with you, but you were so busy that I was only able to capture a greeting on video. But that's okay. We're here today, and I'd like to give those around the world, in case they're not familiar with you and your work, a better perspective. Please give us some background of how you started doing what you do and what was exactly the defining moment for you to enter into this field, and you're truly one of the best and most informed people out there, so I presume there had to have been a defining moment for you. Okay, but I think a lot of this stuff, you can't, very hard to condense it down in just a few sentences, but I travel all over the world now constantly to many, many countries. You know, my books are now in 20 different languages, so I'm, I'm not slowing down by a long shot. There's a lot going on. But if you want to go back to the beginning, I can tell you how I started. And the story is in my book that I wrote called Five Lives Remembered. That tells the story of my beginning. But I started in all of this in, in 1960s. It was 1968. And at that time, I was a hypnotist, but the only thing you used hypnosis for was just habits. Stop smoking, lose weight. They were the long, drawn-out inductions and would you know watch the shiny object and the long all the tests that you had to perform it was all very uh time consuming but that was all hypnosis was used for in those days but my husband and I he was career navy and we were stationed on a navy base down in Texas and he just returned from Vietnam and he was was practicing hypnosis too and we were both doing it for habits and i guess you would say the defining moment came <laughs> When a doctor on the base, he had a patient that he was having problems with. She was very overweight, and uh, she had what he called nervous eating, to where she was, it was bothering her kidneys, and she was having kidney problems. So he wanted to know if my husband and I could work with her just to get her to relax, if nothing else. That would help. So we went into it just like a normal case. But as we were working with her, that's where everything began to get very strange because um, after what we were doing it, she jumped into a past life at the Roaring Twenties in Chicago where she was with the gangs and everything. Well, you got to remember, in the 1968, this was way, way ahead of its time. None of this was known. Uh, they didn't have past life regressions. Nobody would have even known what you're talking about. No hypnotist was doing it. They didn't have anything about New Age. There was no New Age stores. There was nothing. Very few people even knew what reincarnation was. 
So, I mean, that's back there. We were there in the very beginning days of all of this. The only book that was out at that time was The Search for Bridey Murphy. And, you know, nowadays that book wouldn't even be published because it's too simple. It's too simple and ordinary. But in those days, it was a groundbreaker because it put out there for the first time the possibility of reincarnation. But there were no books out to tell a hypnotist what to do if a situation like this came up. And this is important because in all the 40 years I've been doing my work, I've never had anyone tell me, this is the way you have to do it. I never had any instructions. I had to invent my own technique and my own way of doing it all the way through. So I think that has been to my benefit, though, that I've been able to, to do it my own way. But anyway, we took the woman back through five lives. It just became interesting. You know, she was being helped by it, but we just thought it was fascinating because we never didn't know what was going on. And she went back to these time periods and became these other personalities. And if you can imagine with no one it never happening before, how blown away you would be. But I was so curious, we just wanted to keep up with it. And in those days, we were using what was called a portable tape recorder of right. the time. And one of those big, humongous things with the big reel-to-reel. Yep. If you yep. remember those. Sure. It was not very portable. You could hardly lift the thing. So she would come to our house, and we were just having these sessions just to see what was going on. And the people on the base got word of what was happening, and we were keeping her anonymous. But they would come to our house, and they'd want to hear the latest chapter, the latest uh, tape, because none of, nobody had ever heard of anything like this before. So it was really quite something in those days. But then it kept on until we did it about, oh, I think maybe five or six months we were involved in this, when all of a sudden our world just came to a crashing end, really, because my husband was on his way to the base one night when he was almost killed in a head-on collision by a drunk driver. Uh. And he made it back from Vietnam safely, but this was what happened on the way to work one night. And it was so bad, they said there was no way he should have even lived through it because we had a Volkswagen bus, and he was ground into the to the wreckage. His entire body was crushed. His face was torn apart. He had several brain concussions and lost all the blood in his body. The only thing that saved him was in the car behind him was a corpsman who had just returned from Vietnam. He knew how to handle trauma. Otherwise, he would have died right there. But they got a helicopter, and they flew him to the Navy hospital. And then they came to get me and took me to the hospital. Now I want to interject here. There was something that was happening. When we were working with this woman, not knowing what you could do or couldn't do, we were open to experimentation. So toward the last, we were just trying to just see what would have happened if we do this, what would happen if we would do that. So at the, I, we decided to have her go into the future and see if she could see what we were going to be doing in the future and what she was going to be doing in the future. Well, when she did that, she saw me and my husband living up here in the mountains of Arkansas, where we are now, and she saw us with grandchildren. So anyway, that night when he was taken to the hospital and they took me there, 
he was in intensive care, and they the five doctors came out talking to me, and every one of them were telling me something different that was going to kill him during the night. They said it's absolutely impossible. He can't live. There's just too much damage to the body. Well, I kept remembering what she had said, and I, I believed everything that happened because it was so dramatic, because she even went back to where she was created by God. And I kept thinking, if you're going to believe it, you're going to believe it all. And so I knew if she saw us in the future, that he couldn't die that night. But of course, I couldn't tell the doctors that. They would have thought I was crazy. So I just said, "Uh, no, you're wrong. He's going to come out of it. And they argued with me for quite a while. But then they finally said, well, if you believe in it that much, maybe it will happen. So over the next few days, they began to call him the Miracle Man because his face went back together with no surgery. He was in a coma for a while, because, but everything went back the way, by miracle. Uh, His body was crushed. They had him in a body cast. He was in the hospital for a year in a body cast, and he had some amputations. But uh, he did live through it anyway. But the thing that was amazing was because the base knew what we were doing, the other men on the base, it began to get around, and they were all saying, this is your punishment, playing around with something you're not supposed to be, reincarnation, for goodness sakes, peeking around hidden corners, this is God punishing you. And that's the mentality, and it's still the mentality today in many cases. But I couldn't believe that because the God we had discovered in our experimentation with that was a God that I didn't, was so full of love, I didn't think that he could possibly punish somebody for asking questions and wanting to know more. So I couldn't believe that. So anyway, my husband was in the hospital for a year. Then they put him out of the hospital as a disabled veteran, and we we moved to the hills of Arkansas because we had to go somewhere we could live on no money and a big family. So that's where we ended up up here. And because of everything that happened, he wasn't interested in the hypnosis anymore. And I was busy taking care of him. He ended up being in a wheelchair for 25 years. I was taking care of him, and I was taking care of the kids. So I put my interest in hypnosis on the back burner. I never forgot it because I kept saying, this is what I want to do. This was so fascinating. It was time travel to be able to go back in time and actually relive what was happening at those times. So that's what I want to do. But I had to wait until the kids were grown and they were getting married or off going to college. Then it's, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? So what I decided to do with my rest of my life is not what the average mother decides to do. I wanted to get back into this. So I began studying some of the newer methods because the other methods were too old and long, drawn out, and tedious. Then I found out it was now done with imagery and visualization. So here again, I invented my own technique, and it was 1979, I began doing past life regression, past life therapy exclusively. But then after that, everything began to happen, and, you know, my books began to come out, 
it's amazing. I was here in the hills of Arkansas. People said, where did you find your subjects? I never did. They uh, came to me. And the ones that came are the ones I wrote my first books about. It was really time travel. It's going back into time and being there. So the first books I wrote dealt with that. But the more I did this over those 30 years, it's over 30 years now, I began to discover something else. And this is what I teach now in my technique all over the world. I began to find out I could have contact with what I call it's a great power that has the answers to everything. It has all knowledge. And over the 30 years of doing it, it kept coming in, but I didn't know what it was. But then I found out I could call on it and bring it in through anybody I worked with. And it has, it's so powerful, it has the answers to anybody in the questions. The person, I, I work as a therapist and a counselor, has all their questions. And also I found out we could have instantaneous healing of anything in just one session by working through this, with this power. Now, I just want to tell you what this is. Uh, see, the other hypnotists, they do past life regressions, but that's the tip of the iceberg. They stop there. They don't realize what a valuable service you can do by taking it further. And so that's why I developed my own technique. But the part I work with, I call it the subconscious because I didn't know what else to call it. But it's not the subconscious the way it's defined by the psychiatrist. That's a childish okay. part of your mind. That's the part of your mind you use with the habits. But this is much, much bigger if you want to define it, you can say it's the higher self, the oversoul, the higher consciousness. It's so big and so huge, it knows everything. And it is so full of love that it cares about every single person. So I found a way to contact that and have it come through everybody I work with. Now, I work in the deepest possible level of trance. The other hypnosis methods teach them don't go there. They say keep the client in the light level of trance. They said you don't want to go to the deep level because strange things happen in the deep level. If you read my books, you know strange things happen there. Right. But I work in the deepest possible level, and I found out a way to take the person there very quickly. And when you're at that level, the conscious mind is totally out of the picture, cannot interfere, this other part can come in, and we can get a tremendous amount of work done. I know that's not a short version, but that's about as quick, as short as I can get it anyway. <laughs> no, that's perfect. You know, Dolores, you have been doing, as you said, the hypnosis for 40 years and past life therapy and past life regression for over 30, and I've been involved in the UFO phenomenon for 25. So after thousands of cases and clients, you've written 15 books, based on the information you have discovered and, and come across, you must have come up with uh, theories that no one else has found. Can you tell us more about those theories? <laughs> Where do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <clears throat> that would be impossible to really condense. Uh, see, because when I, when I did the, U the UFO book, the main book was The Custodians. Mm -hmm. That's my 25 years of working with the UFO phenomenon. Right. And it was strictly, and in that book, the ETs began to come through and converse with me through all of my clients, and they told me anything you want to know about UFOs, absolutely anything. 
But then it began to go into complicated metaphysical theories. And when that happened, I knew I would have to start writing a different kind of a book because it was going away from UFOs. And that's when I began the Convoluted Universe series. I've now written three books in that. You just mentioned one. I've written three volumes, and I'm working on the fourth volume. Each book becomes more and more complicated. I call that series the those for the people who want their minds bent like pretzels. Right. I heard that, yes. Anything, you know, the wildest thing you can come up with, I've discovered. And I keep thinking, well, there surely isn't anything out there left because it's so mind-bending and uh, it really blo- it really stretches your mind to the limits every time they give me a new theory. But then it just keeps going and going. And the la- end of the last book, The Convoluted Three, at the end of the book, I said, well, I don't think I've anything left from me discovered. And they said, oh, there's more. There's a lot more. So it just keeps going. And, uh, and, and that's why this is another thing I want you to know, too. This, I told you, I I don't know what else to call it. I call that the subconscious. I didn't know what to call it. They say, we don't care what you call us, we'll work with you. But say, for instance, I'm working with a client in England. They never interrupt the therapy part. But at toward the end of the session, they'll come through and say, Dolores, here's the next uh, concept, the next theory you need for your next book. And they'll give me a theory I've never heard before. Then a week later, I'll be back in the States working with a totally different client. It happens again, and they come through and expand on the theory that I was just given. And this is where the convoluted universe books are coming from. So how can that happen? You know, if nobody knows each other, how can this happen? Exactly. So it's almost as if they're tapping into, let's call them, what you call it, the subconscious mind, to each person and almost channeling information, regardless of who the person is, to make you complete your work. Yes. Well, you know, when a psychiatrist, I think he was called, I never can pronounce the name, Carl Jung, when yes. he was doing the beginning of psychiatry, he used to use hypnosis. And he discovered what he called the universal consciousness. And I believe that's the same thing. I think he tapped into it. But what happened when he tapped into it, I think he became frightened because after that, he stopped hypnosis altogether and he developed the theory of psychoanalysis. I think it's the same thing, but it is so powerful that in his day, he probably had no idea what he was talking to and how to handle it. (laughs) You have such a unique way in taking complex, whenever we hear the word metaphysical, a lot of people turn away because it's it's so difficult to grasp, to grasp the many. But you have such a unique way in taking complex metaphysical concepts and explaining them in a way that is easy for anyone to understand. That That's the way I like it too. Uh-huh. Well, that's what I tell them. They give me a theory and I'll say, now look, I've got to understand this. If I'm going to write about it, if I'm going to lecture on it, Give me an analogy. Give me some example, something that will make it easier to understand. And they'll usually say, well, that's hard to do because the words are not there. But they say, we will do the best we can. So that's where they give me examples and things. And that's why I call the convoluted universe, I call them mind candy. 
know, just read it, you know, and, and it's interesting, but then go on and do your work because uh, we have to live our lives, too. It's just something to think about, ponder on, anyway. I really want to talk about past life regression during this show, but first, let me just take a quick detour, since this show's core topic is UFOs and the okay. phenomena. Let me start by asking, why are the extraterrestrials coming, and why are they here? Oh, that's also a long, complex uh, answer. I, I speak at all the UFO conferences in the world, and I, I've speaking for hours just on yes. that. Uh, well, they're here to help us. I have never found any negativity in all the 25 years I'm working with it. I don't care what the other investigators say. I have found only positive. And this, I don't know how much time we're going to have. I'm going to try to go back a little bit. But you see, what people don't understand, they're treating them as something over here foreign, alien, to be afraid of, without realizing we are them and they are us. We're all the same. We're not distant from each other. And when you understand that, they have been coming since the beginning of the world. They've been taking care of us since the beginning of the world. And when you understand that, it's not frightening at all. That's just that fear aspect that people have. Uh, but here again, it goes back to the fact that I use a different form of hypnosis. The other investigators... They've told me, they said, there's no way we're going to go into that deep level. And they said, we're afraid of what we're finding at the light level. And they stay with the part where the emotion and the fear is. They're staying with what the human, the person, is remembering and experiencing. I remove the conscious mind, the fear aspect, and we go direct to what's really happening. And it's a totally different story. Now, they have told me, they, you know, the ET yes, said, yes, right. the ideal situation would be that the person having the experience not remember anything at all because they don't want to interfere with the person's life. But they can't account for, let's say, the additives in our food, the pollutants in the air. If the person is on drugs, if they're on alcohol, uh, all of that, if it... it um, distorts the chemistry of the brain. So whenever the person has an experience, they might remember it in distorted fashion, parts of dreams or bits and pieces. And what they're remembering is colored by fear because that's the way human beings are. Fear is the strongest emotion a human has. And if you don't understand something, you're going to be afraid of it. So if they are remembering it, it's screened through fear, they're not remembering what really happened at all. That's the difference. But let me play devil's advocate for a moment. If okay. free will is to be respected, why are some people being abducted against their will? They are not. No one is ever taken against their will. Free will is the main reason this planet was created. They said, give this beautiful planet a creature with intelligence and free will and see what he does with it. And they're sitting there shaking their heads because we're not doing what we were supposed to be doing with it. Everyone has free will. They say they don't, if they're not wanting to be abducted, because they don't remember their contracts. Now, this is going to back, go back. Uh, see, I've written books on life after death, what happens when you die, where you go on the other side, what it's like over there, all the places you can go to, 
And when you come back into a life, you review the life you have just left. And you make contracts with people saying, okay, we didn't do such a good job. Let's go back and do it again. You make contracts with these different people to play different parts in the next life you're going into. So while you're making your plan of what you hope to accomplish, see, it's not set in stone because of free will, but what you're hoping to accomplish, while you're making these plans and contracts, the ETs will come to you. This is on the spirit side. And they say, you know, while you're alive, we're going to be involved in this project, this experiment. Do you want to be a part of it? And if they agree, then they it's, it really is like signing a contract to be a part of this. The problem is that when the person is born, all memory is taken away. And it's done that way on purpose. That's what's frustrating about it. And ETs will say when I'm having sessions, they say, why are you so upset? Don't you remember you signed the contract? Don't you remember you agreed to all of this? We just don't remember that we signed the contract. Yeah, they said that's the problem. When you um, humans are born, you forget everything, and we don't. See, this is a school. Earth is a school. You're here to learn lessons, and you're here to go through classes. You can't go on to the next grade until you finish the grade you're in. So it's the kind of a school where you, can, you can't skip a grade, but you can have to repeat a grade if you're not doing it correctly. Can we call it reincarnation earth school? <laughs> well, it's, it's a school. And everything you learn, they said, what if it, t- it may take you eternity to get through one grade? But so what? You have eternity. Wouldn't it be much better just to go much faster, finish one grade, and go on to the next grade till eventually you can graduate? But see, because it's a school, everything that comes up in your life, there is no bad, there is no good. It's only experiences and lessons. What do you learn from the experience? So I asked them one time, I said, wouldn't it be much better if we could remember what we came for? if we could remember our associations with people in our lives and what we what our contract was. They said, no, it wouldn't be a test if you knew the answers. But to get back to the, the ETs, they said, if, if you don't want to be a part of this, all you got to do is say so. We'll let you out of the program. We don't want that kind of an attitude. But they lose a lot in the long run if they don't stay with the program. Of course. But anyway, I know these answers are not short, but... <laughs> no, I know, I know. It would take days to just uh, go through through all the, the knowledge you've acquired with the 15 books and, and the decades of experience. You talk of the concept of, quote-unquote, lost knowledge. How yeah. did that knowledge get lost? Is it lost or is it hidden from us? Well, that's what I say. I call myself the reporter, the investigator, the researcher of lost knowledge, Because what began to come out was knowledge that had never been known or had been lost, forgotten, buried. But it kept coming out. And many times they'll tell me, this is not new, it's old knowledge, but now it's being brought back into your time. But my curiosity, I wanted to know the answers to everything, every mystery, everything that was out there. And so I've been allowed to to get the information. 
so that's why I call it lost knowledge. Now's the time to get it all back. And people put all sorts of labels to the UFO phenomena, abductions, etc. Can you please define the phenomenon so that those of us who need an explanation or more answers can be more satisfied? And why is it happening? Oh, boy. It's a growing phenomenon. It's evolving. And my new book I'm writing, it's even going beyond anything you could possibly imagine. So I guess you want me to go back to the simple stuff. Sure. sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, they have been around forever because they've been taking care of the Earth forever. See, they're the ones who created life on Earth, and they've been taking care of us since all that time, watching us and nurturing us. And this is their job. And it is just like Star Trek. The The prime directive of directive, interference yeah. is very real. They cannot interfere in the developing civilization. So all they've been doing all of this time is just watching over us and taking care of us. So-called abductions are nothing more than checking us to see how we're doing, and especially those who are in the program who've agreed. And I've had it happen many, many times. See, I've done cases where other investigators have done the, the client, and we come up with a horrible story. I do the same client using my method and come up with a totally different story. And the person afterwards will say, well, that's what happened. I can live with that. Because you don't want them living in fear. You want to find out what really happened. But many times when they're taken on board the ships and everything, it is to check the physical body, make adjustments to the body, because they're trying to keep the body healthy. They are very concerned about the increase in cancer and different diseases right now, and they are trying to develop cures for that. And these cures will be given subconsciously to the scientists and the doctors. But the idea, and it gets there again, going into a longer story, we were supposed to be a perfect race, the human race was, never get sick and live as long as we want because they live as long as they want. It was supposed to be that kind of a race. Give it intelligence, give it in curiosity and see what they do with it. So that was what it was supposed to be. But while the species was developing, like I said, this could take hours. I'm not going to go into all the background. Sure. While it was developing, a meteorite hit the Earth. And when the meteorite hit the Earth, it brought bacteria that created disease for the first time. And this was during the time when the species was just developing. So they said when they discovered this, they were very upset. And there are councils that govern everything. They went back to the councils and they said, what are we going to do now? Our experiment has been ruined. Do we stop the whole thing and start over again? Or do we let it continue knowing it will never be the perfect race we intended it to be? And they said there was a lot of sadness, but they decided let it go ahead and continue. And we'll just watch it and see what we can do. So all of these years, they've been trying to help the human body get back to what it was supposed to be. And therefore, they're really fighting a lot with the pollution and everything that's going on. So that's all it is, is a monitoring thing, is all it is. Let's call them the watchers. If they are the watchers, as, as so many people call yeah, them. There are two different names. They're called the watchers and the others. And the others. 
if they they have a, the prime directive is real and they, they have a policy of non-intervention, but yeah. if the world, if the planet is spiraling down and endless wars and disease and, and, and pollution, as you say, what is it going to take for them to finally say, okay, there's, there's no way we cannot get involved anymore? The only way they could interfere would be if we were to blow, get to the point we could blow up the planet. Mm. Because if we did that, it would send reverberations throughout the galaxy, and it would disturb and damage other planets, even other planets in other dimensions, other life forms in other dimensions. It would cause too much damage, and they could not allow that to happen. Because they said, otherwise, why would we be concerned of this little bitty planet over here in this part of the solar system? But they were isolated over here on purpose, too, to keep our violence from contaminating the rest of the other species. But they said that little planet has importance because if something goes off kilter, it could interfere with the whole galaxy. So that's one of the reasons they've been watching us. What are these kids going to do next? Because if we've been playing around, they didn't like it when we first got into the atomic power because then mm -hmm. we were really pushing the, the limit. So if we got into things like that, we could go to the point where they would have to step in. But they don't want to have it go to that point. Is it true that this is a prison planet for us and we cannot leave the planet to go into another celestial object, if you will, perhaps the moon, but nowhere else because of the way we are as human beings? I wouldn't call it a prison planet. I've done too many regressions. <laughs> I know that we have had lives on other planets, other dimensions. Uh -huh. We have all been... We've all been ETs. We have lived many, many lives. Earth is a very young planet. And you remember, you've been around forever. You have lived lives on other planets, on spaceships. You've been in other dimensions. You even have lifetimes where you don't have a body. You're just a light body. There you have been so many things you can't even possibly imagine. And when we leave this planet, we're going to go, if we've learned all our lessons, we will go off, say, I'm going to go over to that other planet over there and See what it has to offer. This planet has free will. Many of the other planets don't. They all have different sets of lessons. So I don't call it a prison planet. I just, this is a planet we have to learn, and it's a very challenging planet. They said they think we're very brave to volunteer to come here because this is a difficult planet to live on. You come to Earth to learn emotions and limitations, And many other planets don't have that. But they definitely don't want our violence to contaminate the rest of the, of the other planets. Eventually, they want us to join with them. The Federation is real. They want us to join with them eventually because they said we would be very uh, good um, additive to it because of our curiosity and our creativity that we think that we could really benefit, you know, from us joining them. But right now, you know, our violence goes back to the fact that we were created from the animals, from the apes. So we still have that animal mentality, and that's one of the things that causes the violence. So you have to uh, overcome that. And we're on the way, but it's very difficult. We can't join with them until we get out of this, because they're afraid of us. <laughs> As they should. <laughs> they are. <laughs>
And you mentioned something very, very peculiar. And this is probably one of the, the most frequently asked questions regarding souls. If right now planet Earth has had more people living in it than ever before, does that mean that souls come from elsewhere? That's called the population question. I get that a lot. Mm-hmm. They said if every soul that has ever been created was on Earth at the same time, you wouldn't even have room to move. Right. All of the souls that have been created have never been on Earth at the same time. They've always, like I said, they've been living elsewhere, other dimensions, other planets, and they're always coming and going. You live on life on Earth for a while, then you're living on the spirit side for a while. Maybe you take a turn as a guardian angel. Maybe you're over there helping mine the store, mine the shop. So they have not all ever been here at the same time. More of them are coming because they want to experience what's going to happen and what's happening now. Because by coming to Earth, you can learn more lessons than anywhere else. So they're lined up to get here. So it's to their benefit, but it's not easy. It's very, very difficult to live here. With the communication you've had with them, and I want you to tell us how was that you first got into communication. Was it through some of your clients? With the, with what? With the uh, ETs. Oh yeah, because it was uh, 25 years ago. I was doing my other work as a past life regressionist, you know, and I was doing already begun to write several books when they asked me to become a UFO investigator. And in Arkansas, they didn't have anybody. Uh, this was the MUFON organization, and they said, uh, well, they had a client they thought who had had an abduction experience, and they said a psychologist was trying to work with her. And they got her under, and they got her on board the craft. But then he just suddenly woke her up and jerked her out of the trance. But he said, I don't know what to ask. This is not in the book. I don't know what to say. So I said, that's not therapy. That's worse if you just jerked them out of a trance. Sure. So they said, would I work with this woman? They said, you've been involved in the bazaar for so long, we don't think this is going <laughs> to scare you. <laughs> so they were having a state meeting here in Arkansas. It's pretty hard to find anybody in Arkansas who could work on this in those days anyway. This was back in the 80s. And they were having a state meeting, and they were going to bring this woman. They had about 25 other investigators there, and they said, would I come and put her under in front of everybody and just see what happened? And I said, that's not the best ideal situation. It's a goldfish bowl situation. She didn't know us. We didn't know her. And what I didn't tell them is I had not done that kind of work. My technique always takes the person back to a past life, and I had not done anything to keep them in this life, so I was going to have to change it. So that night when I went over there and did it, it ended up working beautifully. And so I said, okay, I can do this. So then they began calling me in on some other cases, and I began uh, doing it with them. The problem is it wasn't very many cases, and I decided I didn't want to work with them anymore. Now, people have told me maybe they've changed now, but in those days, all they were interested in was the nuts and bolts. You know, if you can't see it, touch it, dissect it, it doesn't exist. And what I was doing, they were not accepting hypnosis or having, you know, going back into doing it that way. So while the person was in trance, 
they were making snide remarks and very rude remarks. And, you know, and the person, of course, was under, but I said, I'm, I can't have that. I said, I'm not going to put anybody I work with through something like that. They were making fun of the whole situation. Sure. So after that, I said, no, I'm not working with you anymore. So I began working with Lou Farish, who is the one who puts on the UFO conference here in Eureka Springs. And I've been working with him now for 25 years, and they began to get consultations with people that wanted sessions. Now, they said MUFON is better now, but that was what happened back then. And so uh, then I began working with these people, and it was just interesting cases. But this is where it became became different. This is my book is called The Custodians. Here again, they're the caretakers. I was working with a woman and was on board the craft when all of a sudden her voice changed to this mechanical-sounding voice. And it said, we are scanning. I said, okay, what's going on? (laughs) And I could actually feel as though my body was being scanned by something. It was a tingly feeling. And then they said, all right, she's the one. She's the one we're supposed to tell. Oh, my, they were scanning you. Yeah, me. Then they said, what do you want to know? And I said, you don't ask me, what do you want to know? Because (laughs) I want to know it all. (laughs) So that started it. And after that, every time I had a session with the UFO uh, things and I'd get the person under, they would come through or somebody on the ship would come through and begin talking to me and giving me the information. And here they would be crying one minute and frightened, and the next minute here this other voice comes through and explains everything. Now, to me, that's the best way to work. You're not going through the fear and emotion the person has experienced. You're going through what's really happening. Did that voice come through with other clients? Yes, that's what I said. It began happening every time I worked with anybody on a UFO case. And all of this is in the book, The Custodians. I remember the first time I had one of those, I sent the tape to Lou, to Lou Farish, Mm -hmm. and he called me. He says, boy, do you know how to get a guy's attention? (laughs) 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 Because it was like a robot talking, and it was really, really interesting. Has that continued to this day, Dolores? Well, I'm not working exclusively now on UFO cases. I have, I'm doing the more of the deeper metaphysics, and I'm definitely focusing on the therapy and the counseling and the healing. That's my main focus now. But I still get people coming who think they've had UFO experiences. And if they do, it, we'll be able to work with them on this. But like I said, everything is changing. I've heard people like, uh, you probably know Dr. Brian Weiss as well. Yeah, he's a friend of mine. Good, good. Well, you know how he has some of the past life regressions where people start speaking a foreign language, for example. And the yes, scientists, well, the scientists out there who say this is not empirical, this cannot be proven, how do you reconcile one with the other? Bull. I've proven it many, many times. I don't know where they're coming. You know, the ones who say things like that have never witnessed it, they've never been a part of it, they don't know what you can do with this. Absolutely. You can do absolutely anything with this. I, I've had other languages. I've had them. See, this is the thing. They, whenever they're in the past life, uh, they speak in English because 
they're using a different part of the brain, and they say it's a part of the brain that the scientists don't understand. It's a part of the brain that contains vocabulary. And many times when they're speaking, if they're in, like say they're another nationality in the past life, they will put the words out of order, like you do when you're translating in your mind. Mm-hmm. You will, like, like they will say, I understand your question not. Right. Like Yoda. They, have an ac- they have an accent. And when I booked on Jesus, there was uh, definitely the Aramaic and all of that. Um, see, whenever you have them in that, they will do that unless they get excited, angry, or some emotion comes in. Then they will slip into their normal language. I've had it happen many times, and I've had to have experts listen to the tape and say, what are they speaking? I've had music in where they're singing in some kind of dead languages, and I'm having that analyzed by universities. So there's so much that can happen with this. How can they say it can't be proven? When you have a client that you record a tape and they start speaking ancient Greek, for example, or Aramaic, and you play that, what is their reaction when they hear that? They're they're amazed any time they hear any of the sessions. (laughs) Because when you're in the deepest possible level of trance, it's called the synambulistic level, they -hmm. don't have any memory when they wake up. They think they took a nap. So anything they hear is amazing to them. We hear that sometimes when we reincarnate, we tend to live in a similar circle. In other words, a a significant other may be part of of a past life, etc. Have you found this to be true in your research? Definitely. That's what I was saying a while ago. Whenever you're making your plan to come back, you come back in groups because you're more comfortable that way. Now, you either want to be in the same people because you like to be with them and you work well together, or there's karma to be repaid. And right when you're on the spirit side, you review your life you have just left. And sometimes you're making the same mistakes with the same people. You get into a rut. Well, you're talking to these souls before you're going to come back. So you might be saying, we didn't do such a good job last time, did we? Let's go back and do it again. This time you be the husband, I'll be the wife, or you be the mother, I'll be the child. It doesn't make, maybe we'll work it out. It doesn't matter because it's only a play anyway. We can reverse the roles around any way we want just to see if we can finally get rid of the karma and work out what we came to do. To do. But we definitely come back with group. You mentioned karma. Yeah. Is there a relationship between karma and reincarnation? Definitely. <laughs> There's no way you can separate the two. Now, karma is the law of balance, right. cause and effect and balance. You do something to a person, you may not have to pay it back in this life, but boy, you're going to have to pay it back because it, it's a law. It, what goes around comes around. You cannot get out of it. There's no way out of it. Whatever you do is going to come back and bite you one way or the other. That's why I've had people go through a series of lives, one after the other with the same people, making the same stupid mistakes over and over, playing different roles, trying to work it out. And they come into this life here, they're still doing the same stupid things and don't understand, but they're still carrying that karma around. And I tell them, you either work it out now or you're going to have to come back again with the same people and do it again. Next time it'll even be harder. 
And they'll say, I sure don't want that. Well, then I said, you better work on it, getting it worked out now. But karma is very real. Now, but in this life now, sometimes the karma is being repaid instantly in this life. You don't have to wait till the next life. How far, lives-wise, have you been able to go during a past life regression? I've gone back to the beginning of the world. So several, several lives. Oh, you have gone to things you wouldn't even think was alive. <laughs> no, I've had, this is something people don't understand, too, is you're not, you're not just human. This is part of the school. You come in here, you have to be everything. How you can't just live one life and learn absolutely everything in one life. You can't jump from kindergarten to college. So in the very beginning of life on Earth, you have to be everything before you become a human. So I've had people go back to when the Earth was forming, and there wasn't any people, there wasn't any plants or anything on, on Earth. All it was was volcanoes exploding and lava and ammonia in the air. And their job was to be part of the air, to uh, screen the ammonia out of the air to where the, would be able, the planet would be able to eventually support life. Hold on. They were not human beings. They were actually air in order to help? Yes. But it has an intelligence. But uh-huh. not only you go, first you have to go through the gases. You have to know what that is like. Then you have to know what is it like to be the dirt. What is it like to be a rock? I've had many people go back to when they were rocks. They said life is very slow. <laughs> you, sure. You can, do you see what, what lesson would you learn from being a rock? What lessons would you learn? To be patient? A lack of freedom. Absolutely. You can't move. You've got to stay right there. And it goes on for a long time. But see, each, each life has a lesson. It doesn't matter what it is. And then you have to become plants, know what it's like to be a flower, what's it like to be a ear of corn. See, I've had people go back to all of these. I've written about them in my books. And then you have to be um, the insects. I've had many, many people be insects. I've had them be animals. I had a man just a few weeks ago who went to a lifetime of an ant. And, you know, he was very interesting, and when he died, he goes to the other side, and they have to do a life review, and I'm thinking, hmm, this ought to be interesting. What's an ant's life, what kind of a review is that going to be? Uh-huh. But they, they were talking to him, and they said, you did a very good job. You learned um, cooperation as a group and taking care of each other and supplying the needs of a group. So, see, nothing is without value. That's why I find this, this whole field is so fascinating. The, absolutely. I was going to say this is so fascinating because when you look at the religious uh, term, when they say that souls only happen to, to human beings, and you think about animals, and you never think that you would be reincarnating in a dog or a horse, you're saying that this is actually happening. Oh, definitely. I've had, had many, 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 many times. But see, you go through them in order. You don't have to stay with that very long because you learn your lessons a lot faster. Sure. But I, I find it fascinating to have someone be an animal. I want to know what is it like to experience that body? What does the animal feel? How does he see? How does he react? 
And that's what I've written about. But the difference is, you have to do all of that before you get into the human being. Now, the difference is, is the animals are a group soul. Now, you think of, uh, well, hives, hive of bees, a colony of ants, a herd of cows, flock of birds. You see how they are groups, and they work as a group. You know what I mean? Like a split soul? They are group soul. Okay. So, in order for them to climb up the ladder and become a human being, they have to separate from that group soul. And the way they do that is through love. Everything is through love. But if you take an animal into your home and you show it love, you give it a personality you begin to give it a differentiation to where you pull it away from the group soul by giving it a personality and making it almost human. So by the next time that animal reincarnates, he will incarnate as a human being. This is how they're pulled away from the group soul. But then you get into the human beings, you have to be everything. So it's the same thing. You can't do it in one life. It's impossible. But you can imagine the first when you first go into the human beings, too, you're going to be a savage of some kind. But when you get into the human being, you have to be everything. You have to be male and female many, many times. And when I do that at a lecture, some of the men get upset with me, and they say, what do you mean? I've always been a male. <laughs> right. <laughs> What would you learn if you had always been one sex through eternity? You wouldn't learn very much. There has to be balance. Everything has to be balanced. So to be, to be balanced, you have to experience the female. And so this explains a lot of the people who are homosexual. They have been one sex so many times, and now finally they have to be the other because they've got a balance. They don't know how to do it, and it's very difficult for them. It's, I've had this happen many times, and it, to me, it's a very valid explanation. they just adjusting. You hear people say, I feel like I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. Yes. That's just where it comes from. But not only do you have to be male and female many, many times, you also have to be everything. You have to live on every continent, every country in the world, you have to be every religion in the world. You have to be every nationality in the world. You have to be rich and poor. You have to be on every side of every coin, experience every single situation that's possible before you're finished. Before you graduate, then you can go back to the source. So see, it cannot be done in one lifetime. I really feel like a dry sponge right now that's just getting drops of water and I'm trying to absorb as, as much as I can. And I know the audience around the world feels the same. We have to take one small break, Dolores, and we'll be right back. But let me ask you a question and I'll get the answer on the other side and then you'll tell us how to get in touch with your great work. What is the purpose? This is obviously a journey. A journey that may take many, many years on lives. I want to know what the end result, what the destination is, but we'll get the answer on the other side. How do we get in touch with all your wonderful work, Dolores? Okay, see, that's what I mean. I had to do this step by step myself. So this is why it's an accumulation of many, many years. Okay, you can uh, check our website. Our, my, I have my own company now, Ozark Mountain Publishing. 
It's abbreviated, so it's O-Z-A-R-K-M-T dot com. Or if you're overseas, it's O-Z-A-R-K-M-T dot dot com. Or you can call the 800 number, 1-800-935-0045. And so much more to come, folks. Don't go anywhere. We're here with Dolores Cannon. This is Mel Fabregas. You're listening to The Veritas Show. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more. Jay Widener, and you're listening to Veritas.